here's a little hint. When deals start going down and the financial community gets involved, like word spreads. So what what font did the deal uh, word deal use when they put deal like in the story? Do they use Shelley script or brush? <laughs> comic so, Sans? Comic, comic Sans? Is it papyrus? <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Autonicast. I'm Ed Niedermeyer. I am the Communications Director at Partners for Automated Vehicle Education and the author of Ludicrous, the Unvarnished Story of Tesla Motors. And I'm Kirsten Korosek, Transportation Editor and Scoop Machine over at TechCrunch. And I'm Alex Roy, the founder of the Human Driving Association, host of the No Parking Podcast, and Director of Special Operations at Argo AI, whom I do not represent on this show. However, I do want to to talk about what Kirsten just said about being the scoop master because <laughs> today you were scooped by the onion on a company called X course. And the headline was revolutionary new driverless car requires zero functional technology to generate profit. This is the number two story <laughs> on Google news under autonomous vehicles. How did you miss this? You know, I feel like this could be, any of the startups that have pitched me. And I, I guess this one just like, you know, got lost in my inbox, um, unfortunately. That's it? <laughs> <laughs> that, that's it? Um, all right. Well, moving on from I mean, that. <laughs> it's I like, you know, the truth is that the heart of all like humor reveals, you know, the, the hidden truth of, of things. I mean, it's definitely true that not making autonomous vehicle technology is more profitable at this point than making autonomous vehicle technology. I wonder what, who the inspiration could have been for this article. Like I can't think of a company <laughs> that doesn't come to mind that like has been selling or promising, you know, full self-driving or autonomous driving. Um, I, I, I wonder where this came from. And obviously it's not Tesla, even though the onion used a Tesla model three as the car in the graphic, <laughs> but you know something, what is, uh, I know we're, we don't, I mean, Kirsten, we're, we're bored with Tesla. There's nothing to talk about. There's no story. But um, <laughs> I was amused when Elon Musk announced a few days ago that they were canceling the Tesla Model S Plaid Plus, which was the 520-mile Tesla Model S allegedly uh, you know, coming later this year or next year because a, he made a big stink about the range mm-hmm. um, matching or surpassing the Lucid Air which it looks like will come out this year. Right. And the and and the story that has not been published has been that Tesla is basically walking away from the 500 plus mile category for the time being and ceding it to Lucid whomever else arrives. That that's something, is it not? Oh yeah, I, I particularly enjoy but I did well, I know what Ed's going to say. I predict Ed's going to be like we don't really need that much range. But I will say I did want to make note that that I did like his excuse or his reasoning is that just like plaid is just like too good. It's like so good that we don't need anything better. Like there's no way to improve upon this. So I I am gonna say we you don't need that much range, but th- but my real argument is is that actually this is smart because it emphasizes uh, accentuates one of the areas where Tesla does have seemingly a bit of a potentially durable advantage and that's their charging infrastructure. Yeah. Um, and, and, sure. and what was surprising to me was that Musk didn't emphasize that and how he messaged it because, 
you know, they have the ability to make the argument, well, you don't need 500 miles of range because we have so many chargers available everywhere. Um, uh, just so we don't end up doing another Tesla episode because it's so boring <laughs> and there's no story there. Um, would you like to talk about the departure of what, Jerome? How do you pronounce the last name? Jerome Guillen. Guillen. And is there anything? Is there a story there? Oh. There's been a lot of rumors. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a lot of rumors. It's a story in, in you know, Jerome, if you're ever listening, you're more than welcome to come on our show. I'm sure you've not signed <laughs> an NDA at all. Uh, <laughs> But, but, you know, I met him uh, years ago, actually, at the uh, maybe even before the Tesla semi reveal, which, by the way, was I had to go back and look because it feels so long ago, November 2017, a lifetime ago, and um, was at that reveal. And, you know, at back then, I think it was 2019 was the expected production timeline. That's now it's now 2021. It was supposed to happen this year. I suspect it will not, um, which is <laughs> not great. I mean, the guy spent ten years at the company, and isn't um, that enough? That's, that's a that's an achievement. That's for a sure. that's, that's a lifetime. Yeah, yeah. So, so I, I have a little rant, guys. It's going to be very go short. I promise. Yeah. And here's what it is: okay. our JJ Ricks episode. Uh, which was a very nice episode. He's a wonderful guest, and I enjoy my time with both of you. Uh, apparently, um, rubbed someone the wrong way, and I got a phone call last week. Now, I'm not going to name names. I'm not going to name names. I am going to say is that the, someone from another autonomous vehicle company uh, called me very upset about something I said in the show pertaining to their offer to JJ to get a ride in one of their cars. And apparently they felt that my tone was a little snarky. And my response to that was, I have always been very fair on this show. I might be, be a little cranky, but I'm always fair. I never deliberately get mean or nasty about any, any of Argo's competitors. I don't think it would be reasonable. Um, so this man said to me, well, if you want to get a ride one of our cars, you could come down and have one too. And I said, okay. He said, but you'll have to sign a non-disclosure. I said, look, you know something? Um, Waymo has generously allowed me to ride in their vehicles like a customer for a long time, even though I work for a competitor. And I'm not required to sign a non-disclosure there. So if you can match that, I will come down. Now, I'm not saying that Argo is the greatest self-driving car company in the world. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is that I don't come on this show and make excuses for them, and I don't badmouth competitors. But that phone call to me was in bad form. If you make a product, you should be willing to stand up, stand up for it. And, and not hide. So I'm just going to leave. It, I'm just going to leave it right there. But if if you listen to that episode, I think you'll infer who I'm talking about. <laughs> All right, spicy. Well, okay. Yeah. Thanks yeah, for that, that segue fun. away from so, Tesla. I think everyone yeah, forgot about I'm sorry, Tesla. Guys. Now. I'm sorry. You know, Tesla. Like we give them grief because they do a lot of stupid things. And, eh, and but you know, they get a lot of stuff wrong, but they get some things right. And mm, so do they. No. <laughs> Moving on. Alex is a little cranky, but we're going to move on to to some actual news, um, which it's been kind of like a pretty busy week in autonomous news, which, you know, I thought that there was like it was over, like consolidation had happened. No new startup could possibly come around or deal left to be done. Except for X-Course uh, from The Onion. 
Right, right. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. That seems like a hot, hot new uh, startup that you should definitely invest in. Anyone who's out there. Um, no, I was going to say um, there are still deals to be done as evidenced by, you know, some SPAC talk over uh, at Aurora. This is this one, over there. This is one of your recent scoops, right? Let's just say that Aurora was not the company that called me. I have some friends there. They didn't call me. <laughs> So okay. it's okay. So really helping We're just gonna start it it down. You might as well just name the company at this point. Was it Aurora and it wasn't Waymo, obviously, but go on. Tell us about Aurora's <laughs> SPAC. Well, I mean, there the deal is close to being finalized um from my sources. And and you know, people always ask like, what are you where are you hearing this from? And like, let's be clear. Um you know, I don't I'm not gonna name sources. I always look for like documentation and things like that. But this is not something that is like coming from Aurora or coming from the potential SPAC. Like, here's a little hint. When deals start going down and the financial community gets involved, like word spreads. So I'll just leave it at that. Um, what, but- what font did the deal, uh, word deal use when they put deal like in the story? Do they use Shelly script or brush? <laughs> Comic Sans? <laughs> Was comic, comic Sans? Is it papyrus? <laughs> like how serious is the deal serious enough to use papyrus font? No, I mean I think it's it's a sans serif, I think. You know, it's like solidly, solidly in sans serif. Um makes it more readable. Business like. So I can talk fonts all day, by the way. I came from a newspaper <laughs> right? background. Okay. Um, you know, here's the thing: like deals can fall apart, uh, certainly. And um, but I've been told that if it were to fall apart at this point. That wouldn't, that would be a bad sign that typically like it's advanced far enough that like, you know, we're talking about, you know, dotting I's and crossing T's. Um, and, you know, I think the valuation talk has been kind of interesting. It is, you know, apparently settling kind of around 12 billion, but we'll see. I mean, maybe all of my multiple sources were totally wrong and, and, um, you know, I felt good about it, but you know. What, what, it, you seem to have a lot of hesitation around this this story. If it had been wrong, well, here's the thing: like the Uber ATG Aurora story, which I had multiple sources of multiple multiple sources. I was still nervous of that too. It's why it just I'm always going to be like I always just want to make sure I get it right, and you you don't ever want to be wrong. Um, I don't wouldn't go to publication if I felt like it was wrong. And, you know, that's why sometimes I get scooped by other people because I will spend an extra amount of time on that. But is it fair to ask you to sum up the reporting of one of your colleagues about the story? What do you mean? Like what now? Because can you tell us about oh, the mean, deal? Oh, because okay. a, few so, days, a few hours later was another story, which I thought was yours because it was good. And usually good stories have your byline on them. <laughs> no, that's a story from Connie and she's okay. great. So, so I did point this out in my story, but Connie kind of um, provided even more evidence of it. So the, the SPAC deal is supposed to be with uh, reInvent Technology Partners, Y SPAC, which it comes out of reInvent Technology or reInvent Capital. This is, this is a, a venture firm that is Reed Hoffman, uh, Michael Thompson, and uh, Mark Pincus. And they have now um, created three SPACs. Two have already formed deals. One was with the home insurance startup Hippo, and the other one was with Joby Aviation. And um, the third one has 
um, sold, you know, it's, it has had its IPO and everything and it's, it's listed, but it just hasn't publicly merged with anyone yet. And so my story was about this particular deal. What makes it kind of sticky is that Reed, um, is also a partner at Greylock and Greylock invested in Aurora. He also sits on the board of Aurora and reInvent later in a, a later um, round invested in Aurora. Are you suggesting this on both sides of the deal? Right. So what I noted in my story and then Connie kind of, you know, gave a lot more evidence of, and it's, it's a good read is that this is unusual, but it is not unprecedented. There are multiple examples of this happening and it's happening actually uh, more often than, you know, in previous times. And in her article kind of gives all this evidence of different examples. Didn't this happen with Lucid and CCIV? I don't think there was an insider no. angle to that, but I might be, I haven't followed that, that deal very closely at all. No, no, I, I, I don't, I'm sure if we like looked at, let's see, there are 22 mobility specs in 2020 um, and there are, you know, lots already in 2021. If we looked at every single deal, I, I'm, we probably could find at least one other one in which someone was, you know, on both sides of the deal. We should do that. We should, we should look at all that documentation. Be interesting. Um, so, I mean, it, you know, I, I, t- I detected a note of disdain in, in Alex's voice about, about SPACs, but, um, we're seeing more and more companies, right? So at first it was, it was the EV startups that all went public via SPACs. Mm-hmm. And now uh, sort of starting with kind of the LIDAR companies, yep. pretty much all or most, most of the then trucking LIDAR, and then, and then trucking. And now just sort of some of the, the big uh, just L4 developers. I, and, and Alex, I mean, and I know you can't comment on this, but uh, uh, the information Amir uh, afraid he reported that that this is something that Argo is looking at as well. So I could not possibly comment <laughs> on anything related to the company I work for. But I will say this. I'm not saying Argo is the best AV company. What I am saying is that I work there, that I never like to work anywhere, do anything for which I have to make excuses. That's all I'm mm, saying. Okay. Well, I would say this. Um, you know, I, I uh, Amir had that story and then and then I, I did a bit of a f- uh, follow-up. So I can only, you know, since Mir is not on here, he can't speak to his reporting. Um, I can, I can say that like there are not just Argo, but a number of companies have looked at uh, SPACs going public and just raising more traditional venture rounds. And I think a lot of companies are weighing the pros and cons of that. I mean, the interesting thing about um, Reed Hoffman's um, firm and specifically this whole reinvent technology partners is they you know, their motto is like venture capital at scale. Like they see SPACs as essentially just super mega scale of venture. And, um, and so it's just giving more access to capital, which, you know, public markets provide. The hard part is so many of these companies are pre-revenue. Yeah. Um, so it, it, it might be great in the beginning. Um, but then like how, it's not pre-profit, it's pre-revenue. And that's an important distinction. It's pre and and not only is it pre-revenue, but I mean, these are very complicated problems that we're working on. And I think, by the way, I mean, I think even in the EV world, um, you know, you you look at what it takes to get an, an EV company off the ground. And and obviously, right, like people are people are um 
doing this, I think at least, well, so there's two potential motivations for, for going public um, in, in a sort of capital intensive pre-revenue kind of a, a, a mobility business. Um, and one is that you think there's potential upside, right? You think you could have something along the lines of, of Tesla where, you know, that stock went crazy uh, without any real like, you know, coupling to the the fundamentals. It was just, it was sort of the triumph of a of a narrative about the company um, that has made a lot of people a lot of money, uh, including Elon Musk, one of the richest men in the world. The other potential motivation is a little scarier, but I think it's just as plausible. And that is that it's getting really hard to raise equity, private, uh, uh, not private equity, but like venture capital led rounds. Like I, I get the feeling. Um, so we've seen Waymo do it, but outside of Waymo, when was the last time that um, a full stack raised around i it's been it's been a while venture capitalists that i've spoken to seem a lot cooler on on av technologies as investments than than others and um and certainly the the you know again the public has a taste for investing in 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 mobility companies now and and so maybe there's some upside but i'm kind of curious about where the balance is between those two factors between the the carrot and the stick to to go public if, if you will yeah i mean here's you're right in that we haven't really seen like giant rounds. Um, we'll talk about one new one here in a minute, but we haven't really seen those like giant, giant rounds that we saw. Giant. giant rounds, like, you know, okay, what was that? When did Neuro raise like an insane amount of money? Was that 2019? Um, you know, Aurora raised a bunch of money. I think that was in 2018 and then 2019. Um We've seen some smaller rounds uh, for s- some smaller startups occur, but there has been like, I, I, I'm sure someone will listen to this and then I'll get a call or an email saying, you forgot about this, but I can't recall off the top of my head, just one that's like a, just a big round. Um, and I kind of think that like, in part, because everyone's come to realize like just how long this process is going to be. And so why drag it out? Like it's easier probably to find a small amount of money. Um, but then once you start escalating that, um, then real questions, like how long is this going to take? You know, can you last five to 10 years to bring this to market? Well, and, and is it, if you do need to raise money in the future, which I, you know, I have to imagine a lot of companies in, in the space will maybe, maybe not all the lighter companies because they'll have you know, some of the, some of them anyway will have contracts and and um, you know to to supply OEMs and stuff. But um, but like, if you have to raise money again, is it easier? Is it going to be easier to do a, a secondary on the public market, or is that going to sort of signal, you know, something that that goes against the the thesis that people invested in you in in the first place and 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 actually send your stock? Like, there's the the public markets. I mean, venture capitals are are fickle as well. But there's at least a certain kind of level of of consistency that I think you know in the public market you can't always it, it can be very hard to tell because there's that that crowd psychology. Oh thing. yeah, we're living and, in and the world person, of meme stocks right now, right? Yeah, and and again that there's upside to that, there's potential upside to that, but there's also a lot of potential downside. And I, I feel like just given the way this has been playing out so far, which is how these cycles work. You know, people are probably mostly thinking about the upside because there hasn't really been a lot of examples in mobility of of the potential downside. By the way, one of the companies that I would put into this category as well is is actually like Uber and Lyft because they're in a really interesting spot where they've been public for a while now, 
Um, and like they're burning money and they will run out of, uh, well, actually, I don't know. I haven't looked at lifts. Uh, uh, I haven't looked at either financials like really closely recently, but you know, at some point those companies may well have to go and, and, and raise more money just to kind of keep things rolling along. And, and what's, you know, that to me is the big question about all of this is what is going to be the taste for people uh, to you know continue to put money in because again if it follows the Tesla thing it won't be it won't be a problem at all people poured billions of dollars into Tesla over and over and over again including after Musk multiple times said you know we're never going to need to raise money again um, and so you know if if it follows that pattern the, these companies would be fine and going public will absolutely be the right thing um, but if that pattern breaks. It could get it could get ugly fast. Mm-hmm. And Again, for 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 players as big as Uber and and Lyft and and now potentially maybe full stack developers as well as you know component makers and and things of that nature. Yeah, and just um, you know, if I would suggest, I will tell one other TechCrunch reporter, Alex Wilhelm, and I, um, and he he is a master at this, like really digs into earnings and Uber and Lyft are a perfect example. You brought it up. Um, and he, you know, he r- reported their, their first quarter earnings and, you know, here's a company that actually is making revenue. So like they're in a, a, at least a much better category. They brought in like 2.9 billion in revenue for the first quarter, still under what event investors had expected. The big thing is, is that they are, you know, they're trying to narrow that gap on the loss side, but at least they have revenue. And a lot of these companies, electric vehicle companies have gone SPAC, um, the LIDAR companies probably have some revenue. I think Too Simple actually has a bit of revenue because they are carrying some freight. But the cost of bringing something like this to market is just huge. And, you know, good luck to anyone who goes public, but you are dealing with a far bigger group of shareholders than, say, a handful of investors. And so, yes, the access to capital is insane. But eventually you will have to, you know, like, like you said, Ed, like there's, there's a fickleness there too, possibly. Um, and what people glom onto is not necessarily always what you think that they might. So I would, I would agree that Uber and Lyft kind of have, you know, they've, they've, they're closer on the revenue. They have more revenue, obviously, than, than any AV company. I think what the, the challenge that they have is that, you know, they, they were able to grow a lot at a time when, and and we had Nathaniel Horadam on here. Well, we had him just the other week, but um, to talk about automated transit. But but a couple of years back, he was talking about these these companies are going to be in a, a lot of trouble. Um, you know, if and when labor market tightens up, and that's exactly what we're seeing right now. Um, labor, and particularly at the low end of the market, the kind of people who sort of you know kept the the gig economy stocked with cheap labor. Um, the the demand is 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 going way up. Um, there's not enough people uh, available for for all the jobs, and so you know that that ultimately becomes a headwind to companies like Uber and Lyft that depend on that labor. But also, it becomes a tailwind for autonomy companies because you know again they they may not have the business in the short term, but at least they're they're developing technology that promises to if this is a long term trend toward you know labor becoming more expensive, you know you're going to see more companies investing in autonomy because they have to hedge against that that possibility, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Alex, you're weirdly quiet right now. Uh, I'm trying to keep up with your remarks and gauge what I can and can't say. 
<laughs> okay, well, show, yeah, I mean, I mean, it's not a live show, but I mean, I'm trying to. Yeah, yeah, up. you're trying to you're trying to behave, and I don't support that at all. Just <laughs> I'm just I think that if your if your employers are listening, like you know, uh, maybe the, give Alex a little bit more rain. Everybody's you're more listening. exciting and interesting when you uh, can you uh, know say clear. whatever you, you want. No one at Argo tells me what I can't say. They tell me to use my best judgment, and my best judgment right. is highly elastic. <laughs> right. Okay. Well, well, hopefully we catch you on a spicy moment here coming up. Um, well, one one thing though that we have seen, like I really actually thought that it was kind of actually maybe maybe I am really pre- correct in my prediction. Do you remember more than a year ago when we were talking about the hype cycle and I was like, there's so much consolidation happening, and Alex was predicting that, and you know we were all talking about that. But that I said, maybe there'll be a new cycle of new startups that come afterwards. And I kind of wasn't sure if I believed what I was saying at the time. I did, I did not believe it. Yeah. But yet, and yet here we are um, today, uh, or this week, I should say, once our audience hears this, um, there is a new startup with like a decent amount of Series A funding. And this is Raquel Erdison. She was the, um, she's a professor at the University of Toronto. She's kind of considered a, you know, a leading AI research and pioneer for her work, uh, particularly around perception. She was the chief scientist over at Uber ATG. And there was a lot of questions about where she was going to go once Aurora um, acquired Uber because she was not, you know, at least at that time in my reporting and others, you know, didn't go over to Aurora. And now she has a new startup called Wabi. Um, and it is uh, working on, um, unlocking or solving autonomous vehicle technology she her 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 pitch is that her approach is is going to help ramp things up more quickly and she got like 83 million ish um in um in funding from actually uh well coastal led it but then uber is uh given an investment and separately from that aurora gave an investment which is Definitely, like I raised an eyebrow because I'm like, hmm, that's interesting. Because Aurora, of course, is developing its own self driving stack. And um, her focus initially is going to be long haul trucking, which also is what Aurora is doing. So it's all very interesting. I'm, I'm uh, happy to see a new startup coming into the space as opposed to the, you know, folding or being acquired. Um, and we'll see what happens. You know, so so I just want to like clarify too what the um and and Kirsten, if you have any other like color on this um because I think it, it might help people sort of understand how to how to locate this in the in the ecosystem, um so it's an AI startup mm-hmm. and one of the big sort of things that jumped out at me anyway was that you know there's this sort of arguments about about deep uh deep nets that that they're not that they're kind of a black box. Um, and it seems like her part of what she's working on uh, involves sort of what I guess sometimes is called like auditable AI. And so essentially being able to go back after the fact uh, and understand how the neural net made certain decisions. And like if you think about from a regulatory standpoint or something like that kind of capability would be huge. And in fact, the, the fact that you don't have that with most neural nets or, or deep, deep, uh, yeah, deep nets is is potentially a huge challenge on the regulatory side, right? Because how does the, how does an NTSB, you know, understand how, how crashes happen or NHTSA for that matter? Right. Um, so the way she explained it to me, uh, we, we, we spoke at length about it just so I could wrap my head around the tech is that, you know, um, 
typically, so autonomous vehicle developers today will use deep nets, but they typically will use it just for a specific problem so that it's sort of walled off because of that black box effect. And then then the rest of it, you're using machine learning and some more rules-based um, AI. So that is validatable and verifiable. And her argument is that this is requires constant manual tuning, and this is very complex and also very time consuming. So her approach is to use deep nets, but also to um, use um, what she calls probab- probabilistic inference and complex optimization. So basically, she describes this as a sort of a family of algorithms that when they're all combined, allows the developer to be able to trace the decision back um, and understand why it made the decision and and how it did. But also more importantly, um, you don't have to teach the system from scratch every time um, because data, the data piece is also like a really, you know, big component of autonomous development today. So she has this um, also developed this sort of closed loop simulator We've heard simulator talk a lot um, in the industry, and we should probably have some simulator folks on again because I feel like we haven't in a while. Um, Altogether, basically, her point is is that this allows for a much faster, um, simplistic in a way, but faster way to scale. And you, they will still have physical fleet on the road to do public testing, but it's not as heavily reliant on that. So now, of course, we have to see it in action and stuff. So what is the end game here? Because we are X number. There's only so many OEMs on the planet that are aligning with well-funded. I don't want to say mature, well-funded and enormous companies building level four. Yeah. So what do you think Raquel's end game is here? Is it it, she's obviously not going to go out and, and like type with an OEM directly. What do you think she's trying to accomplish? So I asked her about this because I was like, listen, like, you know, is this to become acquired? Is this to, you know, where, where are you, why are you doing this? She says that is not to uh, disrupt. um, And she used those words um, that like this existing ecosystem of OEMs and hardware and compute suppliers, she wants to be a player within it. So it sounds like she wants to be a supplier um, and she has been very clear. She, at least right now, it doesn't sound like she's going to be looking to like do exclusive lockups. So I don't know where you go from here um, because in a way, if you open yourself up to any, to help and be that problem solver to multiple OEMs, then, you know, maybe the OEMs will respond to that because, you know, they love they love that, you know, maybe if it helps them scale faster, but um, I don't know beyond what she's told me exactly how that's going to play out. Uh, will she end up just working with Aurora? I don't, I don't think so, but. If, if she were, if that were the plan, why she would have just joined Aurora. Right. I mean, this was clearly, Possibly, yeah. you know, because yeah. she was in, at ATG when that merged with Aurora, you know, clearly, you know, between her needs and 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 Aurora's needs, it, it made more sense to have her working on this this startup. Which to me, um, and I don't know, Kirsten, if 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 you know the the answer to this, to me, this sounds more like a long term research 
thing than like a, you know, something that, that would be in a stack in sort of one of the first rounds of deployments. Is that, do you get that impression as well, that this is sort of more of a long-term kind of research oriented startup? Mm, that's tough to say, because she seems super ambitious. And I will say this, like, you can just tell that, um, and she did not say, she, she said that her time at Uber was great and everything, but there is a lightness to how she was describing everything. And you can tell that she is absolutely like loving controlling her show. Like she has built this startup and this is her thing. And so she's just completely free. I mean, yes, she has these people as, as backers and she'll have to, um, you know, prove that she can continue to get money from them, but she is clearly very free of the bureaucracy that probably existed um, when she was over at Uber ATG. And this is just me sort of observing her behavior. It's nothing that she told me, but clearly super ambitious, very focused. And I didn't hear a lot of like long-term and research project. Um, but, you know, let's wait and see what happens with like the specifics. Um, this company is uh, just a few months old. Yeah, and, and we've seen it is possible to sort of you know, uh, we, there's a number of companies that sort of focus on a specific part of the stack and, and are able to work with a number of, of, of other, you know, quote unquote, full stack developers. Um, and like you think of um, perceptive automata on the sort of pedestrian intent piece of it, um, Algolux sort of in terms of the perception optimization, there's a, a bunch of a bunch of these companies. Um, and so, uh, you know, that's that's certainly, um, it, you know, assuming that this is that that's what she's doing the idea is to sort of fit this capability into an existing stack in theory it's possible although the from the description of 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 what it sounds like it 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 sounds more like more fundamental than sort of picking a little sl- a slice that that you could then sort of serve at a number of different but again it, I, I don't i don't know that we have enough to go on um so far yeah i don't have enough to go on either i mean i i i Basically, I mean, I'm not a computer scientist or AI researcher, but I basically get the gist of the approach. Um, and it's clear that some of the leading AI researchers have directly like invested in her company. Um, and so that bodes well, although like in that community, I think they, they a lot of them support each other. Um, she's well known in the industry um, for her work. So I, I think at this point we we just see what she does with it. I mean, I mean the 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 uh, positive would be if her contributions do speed up the deployment of AVs, right? But we don't we just don't know that. I mean, there's there's a long long way to go on that front. Sure. Which uh, right, what's the next story? Because we have spent a lot of time. <laughs> so do I sound grouchy? You spent a lot. I mean, you of do time. sound grouchy. We sound. You we do sound a lot grouchy of time in this race here. Next, what's the next story? So the Wall Street <laughs> Journal had a, a big uh, story. It got a lot of attention. Um, and uh, the headline is, self-driving cars could be decades away, no matter what Elon Musk said. Uh, and uh, there's a lot a lot going on in that headline. Um, and frankly, a lot going on in the piece. I I thought, I, I you know, I didn't agree with, with everything, but... I thought it was in general not a terrible sort of state of the AV space, but I'm curious what but what you that headline thought. was. Is, you know, the headline, yeah. as the you know one of the earliest skeptics about autonomous vehicles, I always say the same thing. Okay, it's the, it's not the technology that I don't think can be made to work. It's that the, it's the a 
a lot of really bad businesses or not businesses have been like the Onion article pointed out, a lot of BS companies have been started up around autonomous vehicle tech. And not a lot of players are going to exist in a couple of years. And a couple of them are going to own the own the market. So it, to, to make a blanket statement, like they're just not going to, they're, they're not going to work is as absurd or the, or the cut it's not, they're not going to be around for decades is as absurd as Tesla saying they're going to be here tomorrow. Cause the reality is there are already today various iterations of autonomous and self-driving tech deployed in many different places. And it's going to evolve over time. And the realistic companies, <laughs> I'm not suggesting Argo AI is the most realistic and honest company in the sector. What I am saying is that I work for a company whose approach I believe in, but especially the approach of being honest about what the technology can do and what a realistic time frame is. And so it really sucks for the good actors in the sector, and Argo is not alone among them, to be swept under the rug with companies like Tesla, who have overpromised for years for years. And so I really hope that as soon as possible, the media narrative around autonomous vehicles graduates from this level. I agree. And I, I will say one of the most frustrating things is when, you know, sort of we'll be tweeting about, about Tesla's full self-driving, which I'm at this point very open about. Just my own personal view is that it is a scam. It, it's, it, you know, uh, there's really no other way to put it, and there's no other lens through which I think you can reasonably assess it. Um, and and you know, that's interesting. That's a story. That's something that people should understand and care about. <laughs> What's so frustrating is when people see that they're like, "Oh, you make some good arguments." All AVs, and then you see them tweeting that all AVs are scams, and it's like, no, no, no. What this one, what this company is doing is a scam. It doesn't mean, and and I think that in general, like the problem that we're dealing with here is that, is that sort of fundamentally the public's perception of of autonomous drive technology was shaped in this sort of peak hype era by you know the media and and really in a lot of ways, you know, venture capitalists had kind of bought a certain narrative and and that kind of filtered out into the media, and and there's a number of characteristics of it. One is that like. It's a singular problem. And when we quote unquote solve autonomy, then you know, AVs will be sort of everywhere in every application. That's a huge part of it. Um, hyping it as a as a consumer-facing product rather than a, a tech, a class of technologies that has a lot of applications. And actually, most of the, the short-term applications may well be in non-consumer-facing um, uh, use cases. Um, and and yeah, so so as a result, we have this very narrow one-dimensional view and by we i just mean the public at large of of this technology and you know definitely something that in my day job i'm constantly thinking about how we sort of get beyond that but it's very difficult very you know, difficult the other night i was at a the uh logan paul floyd mayweather fight viewing party and there's you know a guy there you know he wanted to ask me about cannonball and my driving past and i'm like well actually i work in safety now and I, you know, oh, what do you do? Well, I ride, I ride in the Argo self-driving test vehicles, you know, several mornings a week in Miami Beach. And he's like, why would you do that? I have a self-driving car. And I'm like, oh, what do you drive? Thinking he's going to say Tesla, but he actually has a, he's like, oh, I've got a BMW. <laughs> and since I was basically a guest at this party, I didn't want to give him, I didn't want to treat him the way I would treat someone on Twitter. So, so I thought, so I'm like, I tried to reason with him. I'm like, well, can you sleep in the back? He's like, 
no, can you? I'm like, well, of course I can. <laughs> and then I then I walked him back to what you know a self driving car r- really is. You know, I wish people would stop using the term, the phrase "solve autonomy," because flight was effectively solved by the Wright brothers. I mean, the basic concepts were shown. <laughs> you know, how do you generate lift? How does it? How does a wing function? But Solving flight did not mean solving profitability in running a commercial airline. Or, or, or solving flight in bad weather. Right? It took a long time for flight to, to work in, in bad weather. The Vikings crossed the Atlantic in longboats showing hmm, courage I lack. And yet they did not solve transatlantic cruise ship business. You know, like that, that's, there is no solving autonomy. There is solving for revenue and solving for profitability and for partnerships and for building businesses that last. And that's a very different task. And so I hope we, I think I'm done with my rant about this mem story. I like Christopher Mims, but we need like headline writing is both an art, but it's also a very toxic science, which often is in conflict with the, the substance of the story. Headlines are hard. Kirsten, I know, yeah. I know you, you know this. Yeah. <laughs> you know um, here's, here, here's um, what, one thing that I was thinking about, Ed, Ed, when you were first introducing this subject, is you were talking about how, you know, all of a sudden everyone shifted to, well, all AVs are a scam. And you know what it reminds me of? Do you remember in the great era of the clean tech, you know, rise and fall of like 20, 2009, 2010, 2011? Uh, Solyndra. Yeah. And, and and how that was everyone pointed to it as an example of how solar is a scam and um and so i think that what people like to make generalizations <laughs> and you can you can come away with this saying building up a commercial scale and profitable business um, around autonomous vehicle technology is hard and lengthy. It doesn't mean that every single company working on it is a scam. It means that it's hard and lengthy. Um, and so the companies that aren't clear about that risk being put into the category that it is a scam. You know, if Elon Musk in 2015 or earlier even um, had said, our aspiration is to someday reach this, but we don't know when, but we're going to have an R&D department just working on this. That is a very different thing than promising it to the public and charging for it openly. Um, and, 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 and then slowly rolling out iterations of an advanced driver assistance system. So it's two different things. It's even different than, than overselling venture capitalists because venture capitalists, they're accredited investors. They're, you know, they, they know that what they do involves risk. That's part of the deal for them. It's actually how they make money is because it's risky. Um, And, you know, it's part and parcel uh, and there's also sort of some cultural factors in Silicon Valley VC that that sort of almost <laughs> it almost encourages exaggeration over, over hyping. It's a very weird dance that they do. But but so so that's fundamentally different than than going to the, the general public. And I think that you know the consumer protection rules you know really distinguish between investors and consumers. And like the the, the general principle is that consumers shouldn't be expected, can't really be expected to be experts in everything, but especially like very complex cutting edge technology. 
And, and that's why consumer protections exist is because it's not reasonable to expect them to, to know the difference between a scam and a, and a, and a great opportunity. Um, but by, and, and, by the way, guys, we're coming up at 45 minutes. So holy we cow. Should. Okay. We you should. A, you have a Bitcoin conference to get to or other Miami yeah. lifestyle. You have a big crypto party to go to. I know you went to one because you told me. No. <laughs> uh, I've been laying low. That's why I'm so crabby today because of my shoulder surgery. Okay. Well, pre-shoulder surgery, you were really living it up in the crypto, living your best life in Miami, I think. Not, not true. I, I was laying low throughout the entire week. I went to a few non-official events, uh, interface with a few people, uh, and let's just leave it at that. I'm not, I'm not a crypto guy. <laughs> okay. I'm just to teasing close, you, Alex. To- to close the loop on this uh, this Wall Street Journal story, I mean, I think yeah, what I would love to to see if if people really want to, you know, basically here we are. It's it's been you know, 2016 was five years ago, um, and we're still sort of this this story indicates we're still dealing with like the trough of disillusionment and the fact that we had all these expectations that were totally unrealistic and coming to terms with that, and and I feel like we're like on the cusp of getting into the the slope of enlightenment. And I think to me, when that starts happening is it's, it's instead of, you know, AVs are finally going to be here like they were promised or AVs are going to take forever to be here like they were promised, that it's like, here are some applications of autonomous drive technology that are actually out there and working. And like, how can they help us understand the nature of this technology? And, and like, you know, Nathaniel Hordam, um, the, 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 a level four bus rapid transit project that that he was just discussing. It's like a really great example of it because it's a limited access, you know, dedicated lane vehicle. Um, and and it doesn't mean that that's a, that's all that the the technology can do, but that's a use case of the technology can be used safely and consistently in um in any weather that a human can drive in. And and you know, then we talk about like, I mean, Alex, your boss made uh, uh, autonomous trucks for for Caterpillar. Uh, uh what? Over a decade ago, something like that. He did well mm-hmm. over a decade ago, I would say. And and so, like, I I think that's kind of what needs to happen. Part of it is getting away from this over focus on when will I, as a consumer, be able to get into an autonomous vehicle? Um, because I think trucking is another really interesting example. Uh, neuro, you know, last mile delivery. There's a, there's a lot, of, and and there are grades of of how challenging these are, uh, and there are grades of sort of, you know, maturity. In, in the different efforts to to address you know, to automate them, uh, but I think that um, you know, recognizing that autonomous drive driving is not one thing that it's lots of different things and that it does need to be developed specifically to the use case and that in the short run, you know the use case is is as important or, or more important than than the actual technology in some respects like that when when the stories start kind of reflecting those things, that's when I will feel like we're starting to to really climb out of this this just hype hangover basically and on that note and on that note (laughs) you're all gonna love my upcoming column on ground truth which is why level five makes no sense Uh, we will look forward to that all right well on on that note because i like to have the last word i want to thank the audience for listening to another episode of the atonicast cast